Hello. 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 That's pretty good. Welcome back. Welcome back to the On the Movie Front podcast, episode 27. Dresses. <laughs> 27 dresses. Wow, episode 27 already. Yeah. It's been a long time. We forgot to celebrate our half year <laughs> anniversary last week. We. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. But uh, we'll celebrate this week. Woohoo! Half a year. Yay! Congratulations! And. Horns and sirens. Sounds like that. <laughs> I think that was a siren. Anyway, um, so I have to apologize. I haven't watched anything in a long time. Boo. I know. Shame on me. Shame on you. I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know why I haven't watched anything. I didn't even watch a DVD. What is wrong with me? Well, I, I have done the opposite. I've watched <laughs> way too many movies. You watch. You are a, a movie whore. And that's a good thing. Yes. I'm saying that in a good way. Oh, it's definitely a good the, way. The word whore has a very negative connotation to it, but not in this. Not if you like being a whore. Love movies. Yeah, I, I would, which I I would agree with that. You are a whore of movies. Yes. Well, no. I don't think that's... Well, it's like someone, like, saying, like, you know, you have too... If you were to say to somebody who was, like, a prostitute, you have too much sex, and, like, well, it's my profession. Someone said, you watch too much movies. I was like, well, it's my profession, so... Uh... We could just call you a critic, then. (laughs) (laughs) We could... We could take out the word whore in its entirety (laughs) and just plug it in... With another word. Anyway, uh, so what two movies did you watch this weekend, Michael? I saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes and 30 Minutes or Less. Ah. So, will you give a review in 30 Minutes or Less for 30 Minutes? Absolutely. Yeah, well, let me take that one first. 30 Minutes or Less. Uh This is the movie starring Jesse Eisenberg, Aziz Ansari, Danny McBride, uh, as well as a cast of other people. And, alright, so this movie's got a very simple premise. Jesse Eisenberg plays a pizza delivery guy. He is kidnapped and strapped a bomb onto himself by other people, by Kenny McBride. Uh, Kenny McBride. I always confuse Kenny Powers, which is Danny McBride's character, uh, in, in Eastbound and Down. And I can never, I always call him Kenny McBride, but it's Danny McBride. I apologize. So Danny McBride kidnaps Jesse Eisenberg, straps a bomb onto him, says, you have to steal $100,000 from a bank, the reason he wants $100,000 is so he can pay a mercenary to kill his father, who's a millionaire, and would, if he dies, would pass the million, you know, millions of dollars onto Danny uh, McBride, who would then open up a nightclub, uh, a, tanning bo- a tanning place slash nightclub slash prostitution ring. <laughs> so it's a brilliant plan by him and his sidekick, whose name I cannot remember. So they kidnap him, they strap a bomb to him, and he's got to go and, and uh, steal this money. And it's up to him how to figure out how. Up to, up to Jesse Eisenberg. So Jesse goes into the school to get Aziz Ansari, who's a teacher, and uh, they go on an adventure, and uh, yeah, they they try their best to steal the money. Now, I'm not going to give anything away. I don't want to, you know, say exactly how they go about this, but hilarity ensues. This movie is very fast-paced. It's, it's a lot of I guess you could call it action. There's a lot of events that are happening one after another because there's a very, you know, real time limit on when this bomb will go off. I think he has something like six hours to get the money. Or it might be eight hours. So, yeah, it's just go, go, go. Um, the hilarious, you know, things that these two, Aziz Ansari and Jesse Eisenberg, try and plan to get the money. Um, yeah, it's 
It's really funny. <laughs> That's kind of all I could say about the movie without giving too much away. Jesse Eisenberg kind of plays himself. He's that, you know, kind of quirky character, the dry humor. Aziz Sanzari plays this, like, over-the-top reaction reactionary character. So he's basically, like, commenting on everything that's going on and flipping out when the, when the scene needs it. And he is hilarious in this film. <laughs> Unbelievably hilarious. Uh, Danny McBride, to me, in this movie sucked. Uh, there was, like, one or two lines where he was funny, but he's just kind of being the same character that he always is. Only this time, he was like uh, a less confident version of that. And it was kind of like, it ended up being boring. And a lot of the, a lot of the times the things he had to say were kind of unmotivated and didn't make sense. And So his, his, the way his character was written was a mess, the way it was acted was a mess. Um, and it was altogether just basically useless. I mean, he had a—he was a pertinent character in the movie. You might even say, you know, in in some aspects, the protagonist uh, to the film. But yeah, it, it was bad. His his character was bad. Beside that portion of the movie and his storyline, uh, which his storyline was great in, in the characters that inv were involved in his storyline, but it, it, the whole thing just didn't wrap up very uh, well. And so for that, I'd give a couple of points off the movie. But overall, the, the hilarity in, <laughs> was at an all-time high in this film. I was laughing consistently. Uh, there is a lot of vulgar humor in the film, so don't go see it with your mom like I did. <laughs> Who's with you? I should, I should preface that. I was aiming to go with my brother Matt, and then Matt invited my mom, and I invited Joe. So we had a whole family affair. Oh. Those are both my brothers, by the way, in case you don't know who those people are. That's cute. Yeah, so it was my whole family there, and we we're all sitting there. And the first like ten minutes of the movie, Danny McBride is talking about, you know, I'm not gonna say it on here. Like, even though we're R-rated podcast, I don't feel comfortable in case there's any moms, aunts, or uncles <laughs> sitting out there. But there's a lot of expletives in the film. It's a it's a really short film, right? It is a very short movie, but you know but what? It didn't bug you at that all? was that was probably the best part of it. Like, they, they, if they dragged that movie out, I would have been so upset because there was really no reason for it. It had the sense of urgency, it was fast-paced, you know, there wasn't any down moments, and it, it just moved, and it should because there's a sense of urgency when you've got a bomb strapped to your chest. So I, I, I don't know if this is going to be a spoiler, if it is, don't answer it, but how come he didn't just go to the cops? Uh, then, no, that's not too much of a spoiler. They explain that as soon as he gets the bomb on him, that they have a remote detonator, mm -hmm. and that if they go, if they see him, because they're gonna, they follow him throughout the movie. Oh, if do they? If they see okay. him with the cops, they'll blow it up. Oh, okay, I wasn't sure yeah. if, if they were following it, him. It's or not. a pretty foolproof plan on their behalf, even though they're idiots. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Um, I read there's like there's a lot of like ad libbing throughout the film. Really? Yeah, I read that. And, like, you know, kind of like Jesse Eisenberg is surrounded by, like, these funny people. Yeah. And, um, and, like, I think from what I read, it's just, like, he was actually really holding his own with, like, certain takes. Obviously, like, I guess, it, guess it seems, this seems like one of those type of movies that there would be a lot of, like, ad-libbing and a lot of, like, kind of, like, just, just throwing out lines and, like, reacting with each other and then doing that a good dozen or so times and just, like, taking one scene that, like, you know, really worked. Yeah. Or, like, was might have been the funniest from what they, they, uh... But, yeah, from what I read back in the day when they were shooting the film, you know, they said that Jesse Eisenberg really held his own with comedians like Aziz and Danny McBride and, and so forth. So, they thought... They, that they that, that combination with Aziz and Jesse where Jesse is very, you know, reserved and, and the things he say 
when when he says them, you don't expect it to be funny because <laughs> it's just someone kind of stating in the way he talks, which is hard to explain verbally. But he just has that dry, very dry humor. But it ends up being hilarious because you see him say something, and then Aziz reacts to that, and it makes it that much funnier. You know, which like the, they were a really good comedic team, and actually you really believe them as friends in the movie. They really did a good job with with that whole that whole storyline with them too. It, it was great. I liked it. How old is Aziz? No I, idea. I, I, I would say thirty. I was just thinking that he, I would say thirty. He literally could be twenty-six or forty-five years old. I think. <laughs> I don't know. He has a range. Yeah. which Blows my mind. Yeah, he definitely. And I really be. don't. I can't really pinpoint. If you know what it is? It's his high-pitched voice. <laughs> like that really throws it off because if he had you know a deeper voice, you might be well, he's older, you know. But his high-pitched voice kind of like makes him seem younger than he probably is. I would say he's like thirty. He's definitely been in the business as far as like stand-up comedian-wise for a while, mm-hmm. for a couple, at least five, maybe even ten years now. So to have been doing that for a while, he probably started when he was 18, 20. So I would say he's probably about 30 now. I'm just, I mean, your, I'm purely guessing. Is that your final That's answer? That's my final answer. 30 years old. I say Google um, it. I'm going to look it up right now. I'm going to tell you, my friend. But yeah, you know what you're saying about the ad-libbing? 28. I definitely could, 28? Wow, I'm pretty close. Man, he, he's I'm just so funny. He's that young, though. <laughs> That's pretty young. But I, about the ad living, I definitely think that like I could tell Danny. I guess now that you say that, like Danny McBride ad libbed a lot, and there were bad ad libs, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Uh, I feel like Danny McBride's like a, a hit or miss for me. Yeah, he's not. He's not always. Well, actually, I would say like most of the time he isn't really the funniest in a yeah. movie or in a. You know, a situation or a scene, but it's, he does have his moments. It's odd for me because I've hated the last two things he's been in. As you know, this I hated him in it, and I hated him in Your Highness. Like I thought, but that was a bad movie overall. But I think he wrote that one, so like a lot of the discredit goes to him. I feel like he has the uh, he has a very similar like Wolf Ferrell type of humor, and in, in his a like lot dirtier. Yeah, a little dirty, but like confident, but like goofballish and like idiot type of character. Yeah. And to me, the Will Ferrell character got boring and old really quick, and I feel like it's ha- the same thing's happening with Danny McBride's his characters that he's doing right now. So I don't know. I don't know what he's gonna do next. Probably another. But he definitely seems like he's got the the ability to to be funny. I just don't know if he's got the versatility to expand outside of this character, which really is the Kenny Powers character, mm-hmm. if anybody's seen that show, Eastbound and Down, which I watch, and I think is very funny. It is. It, it, but it's like that show is set up to be a funny around him, so it's a lot more, he's a lot more successful in that arena, but like outside of it, in this type of a movie, he doesn't work. His character doesn't work. True. Okay, yeah. what would you uh, rate this film? Um... I think I'd give it like a a sixty five. Like a six? Are you? That's your go to sixty five again. You gave something else a sixty five last week. Well, then I give it a sixty four. Cowboys and Aliens, you gave a sixty five. Really? Okay. Along with source co- source code. All right, so I'll give this a sixty. Sixty. Yeah, I dropped it down a few. All right, sixty it is. So that was fun. <laughs> Alright, so what now else? I'll talk about <coughs> Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, monkey time. Monkey time. time for some monkey business. Go ahead. This is the movie starring James Franco and apes. 
Um, there's some <laughs> that's really <laughs> all you need to know about the film. Um, there's not too many other famous peoples in this film. The one girl from Slumdog Millionaire is in it, and she plays the love in- interest. Isn't she hot? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's her name? Frida Pinto or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. I can't get Frida to this Pinto. for some reason. Oh, there we go. Dun, dun, dun. Frida. Were you right? Yeah. Okay. I know I know my hot Indian actresses. Uh, there. Oh, also John Lithgow is in the film. I did. I did forget about. It. He plays uh, the father of uh, James Franco. So basic setup. So James Franco is testing these uh, these apes to try and find a cure for Alzheimer's disease, and uh, to try and improve. Um, basically, not not so much a cure for Alzheimer's disease. Like obviously that's his like main goal. But he's specifically testing for uh, cognitive, which. Um, a lot of times what Alzheimer's disease does, and I, I have to explain this because if you haven't seen the movie, this might not be... Even if you see the movie, you might not understand this about Alzheimer's disease. What it does is it breaks down it, not only your actual memories, but your physical uh, muscle memories, okay? So, you know, things like playing the piano, for example. Uh, let's say you were really, really great at playing the piano. When you begin to get Alzheimer's disease, you can't play the piano anymore. And it's not that you're forgetting what the the notes are or where they are. It's it's your hands can't react as fast. Your brain si- can't send the signals down to your hands and the rest of your body. So it, you know Alzheimer's disease breaks that stuff down. Okay. So that being said, having getting the the medical lingo out of the way, he's trying to find a, a cure specifically for the those cognitive reflexes to help you know connect better so so people can live longer because that's what ends up killing someone like they they can't you know they end up like not being able to go to the bathroom and stuff like that because their brain can't communicate and and get those messages down so that's his goal with the with the monkeys what happens is he acts he actually finds a cure very early on this is like in the first five minutes of the film uh I don't want to say cure. Find, find something that improves it vastly, uh, but has uh, causes aggression in the apes. And then one of the apes goes crazy and ends up, you know, destroying like the lab and all the research goes out the window. And he has to go back to the scra- the drawing board. And this ape ended up having a baby, which is Caesar, which is the main character of the film. Of the film. Now Caesar was born with this in her genes, in his genes, I'm sorry, because the mother was injected with it and is now being passed down, so James Franco decides to take Caesar home and raise him because they have to put down all the other apes when they got to start from zero because then they're not going to be testing anymore, they have to create this, uh, this, this cure. So he brings Caesar home and, and raises him, and this is the majority of the movie, okay? Him, ra- James Franco raising Caesar, you see all the steps, you know, of, of of Caesar growing up inside a house, you know, how an ape would live with people. And James Franco, you know, realizes and it becomes uh, abundantly clear that Caesar is intelligent, vastly intelligent, learns to sign, learns to, to, to eat with a fork, um, all these all these things, and is, you know, behaving very much like a human. And James Franco, throughout the years, you know, takes all this information down, catalogs it, and uh, he creates, uh, you know, a new and improved viral, uh, I mean, um, 
cure for Alzheimer's disease and starts testing it out on his father. And it works. And his father gets better. And so then he starts keeping track of this stuff. So that's basically the main setup of, I would say, the good first hour and a half of this film. And I, I know some of you might find that very surprising. But it was actually, like, really gripping. Uh, a very interesting storyline to see, you know, this ape grow up in the family home and, and, and how he adjusted or didn't adjust well and and seeing, you know, John Lithgow get his memories back and then start to lose them again and how, you know, James Franco is struggling with the fact that, like, this cure works and then doesn't work and works and then doesn't work and he's, you know, trying to, like, actually get it so it will work permanently. So what happens one day is John Lithgow is starting to regress and he's Lithgow's home alone with the, the ape and Lithgow just wanders outside and the ape goes to try and you know protect him and then the ape ends up biting a stranger and then animal control comes in and the ape has to go for a 90 day period into uh, basically a, a home for apes that they have I guess for apes that they've captured from the wild or apes that you know couldn't behave in the in the San Diego Zoo, so they're here, you know, to to try and um, what they uh, claim this place is for is to rehabilitate the apes. But what it actually ends up being is they they don't care about the apes. They just let them there and they torture them and they sell them to get experimented on and stuff like that. I I apologize. This this plot is very. Uh, what's the word, very in-depth. Uh, there's a lot that goes on in this film. It's like a two-and-a-half-hour movie, so... I guess I'll stop there. What ha Basically, from there on out, the apes, you know, Caesar gets smarter, learns how to kind of organize the apes to a point until he realizes that they're, they're not going to get any smarter without the same kind of, you know, cure for the Alzheimer's disease that he had. Uh, that it just, you know, when you don't have Alzheimer's disease, just makes you infinitely smarter yeah. and, and, and faster and better with your, your, your movements and your hands and stuff like that. So his plan becomes to break out, and, and uh, I won't, I'll stop there with the plot. And the movie just takes over from there. And basically there's just an uprising of apes. Hmm. But I won't, I won't explain at all what else happens. So yeah, so this movie's two and a half hours. I was like riveted through this whole film I did halfway through kind of think to myself this is not at all what I expected out of this film I was really surprised with how much time was spent on this relationship between Caesar the Ape and James Franco uh, how how intricate they went into the details of you know the things that, that an ape would have to do to order to live in a, in a human home and just you know you really get a uh, you really get feelings. You develop feelings for Caesar. You understand him as a as an ape, even though he can't talk. You know, you you get what what he wants, what he needs, and uh, you really connect and feel bad for him and sorry for him throughout this throughout the second half of the movie. And it was really powerful to see that happen. But yeah, I I liked this movie a lot. I thought it did a lot of things right. The, the script was really great. Uh, the acting was incredible. 
you get over the CGI really fast. You you understand when the movie opens, and having if you saw a single preview for this film, you know it's all the apes are all CGI. You get over that extremely fast because even though it's CGI, they do a really uh, a fairly good job. And then you kind of just forget that it's CGI. It's like you know it, but it's like you forget it because they do such a great job at making you connect with it, <coughs> connecting with these apes. Um, each of the apes that they have in the movie, and there's several different ones, they each have a character to them, very well defined. Uh, you know, and they do little things so you can tell them apart. Like one of them has like a, a glassy looking eye. I know it's not a glass eye, but just just the way it looks. You know, where another ape is actually uh, has brown hair instead of the the normal gray hair, and it's kind of cool to to see that. You know, those simple things, but then watching how they define those characters with their CGI movements and how they walk and, and, and their attitude and their breathing and that's crazy like they, they did a really good job with this film uh, I was very impressed uh, I liked it from beginning to end I, I thought the end of the movie was fantastic you know a lot of th I was kind of worried about that because it's supposed to be a prequel where they're going to kind of leave you hanging so there would be more time for another movie in between this and when the other uh, Planet of the Apes movies are supposed to start which they do but only I only know that because I, I read the blogs and, and articles and, and know that they're going to be making two more movies. But you feel completely satisfied at the end of this film. There's no cliffhanger. You get that this is the start uh, to where the other movies lead. And so I really like this movie. Cool. cool. What would you rate it? I, I want to rate this movie very high. I want to put it in the 80s, and I'm just I'm having a little trouble, and maybe you can kind of help me figure it out, Rob. <laughs> As, um, this might be this might be my favorite movie of the summer. And as much as I liked Super 8, I think that this was a little bit of a better film. So I want to rate it right above that. Right, you gave Super 8 and Midnight in Paris both an 83 so far for the year, and those were your two highest scores of the year so far. So you want to, are you going to give it like an 84? 85? Alright, well, this is what I'm going to do. Because <laughs> I, I can't rate it the same as Midnight in Paris, but I think after Midnight in Paris has sat with me a little longer, I think Midnight in Paris was better than Super 8. So I'm going to put... Midnight, I'm going to change Midnight in Paris's to an 84 okay. and make Planet Rise of the Planet of the Apes an 84 as well. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> I like that. There was a... I, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but I do want to catch it eventually. There's been a lot of talk about how great uh, Andy Serkis's, uh performance as Caesar was. And this is the guy who did Go Alone. He did, I think, the King Kong, you know, Monkey and everything like that. And I don't know I don't know exactly what it's called again, but, like, you know, obviously they just throw, like, a lot of... You know, electronic dots on there, yeah. and they like you know they kind of like calculate his movement, and he is essentially almost like acting as Caesar, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, it's almost like the way how like all the Avatar you know characters right, were, right. And, and you know how it was like Zoe Saldana, but it really doesn't obviously doesn't look anything like her right, in the right. movie. So I, I don't know. Did you uh, did you did you know it was going to be Andy Serkis going into the movie, or did you read anything? No. Or did you feel like? <laughs> Did you think I mean, it was I all CGI? Or did you actually know that? I like know that. I know that's that is how the technology works. I know mm -hmm. there is an actor there, but it never played into my mind during the actual movie. Um, but yeah, he did a fantastic job. 
He, re- he really like did. the mastermind. Of it. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how you can like. <laughs> he has typecasted himself to be like, oh, you need a, you need this in the movie. <laughs> you need. A, I'll be the. I'll be that guy. I right? mean, I'm sure he gets paid a, a nice, hilarious, a nice amount of money to it do that. It actually started some talk on the blogosphere, which I mean, it's probably not going to happen. I don't think so, at least anytime soon. But actually, creating almost some kind of type of award <laughs> for these type of things because they've always been talking about. Um, why can't like like voice acting mm-hmm. for for animations or just 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 in general like sometimes there there are a lot of good voice performances a lot better than others in throughout the year of film and now they're kind of saying if they combine that with like these type of performances as well it's not really like yourself as the actor but yeah you know I don't I don't again I don't know what it's called I, I forget it slips my mind what it's called but. The, the stuff that Andy Serkis does, you know, kind of combining that into one category, that that might be interesting one day. They have that. It would, but I I would wonder like where the line would be drawn if you start doing stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. You know? like, be, uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like a very prestigious thing. Yet at the same time, it's very essential for these movies, especially with the technology nowadays. You can only expect more and more of these movies to be made. And uh, I guess that's a fair assessment to say. Yeah. So it should be interesting to see how that goes. But yeah, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I, I, up from I highly recommend this movie. Um, it may it may not be what, and I said this before, it wasn't what I expected out of the film at all. It sounds like it had like little action than it, what the previews were showing. Yeah, it. the previews show you glimpses of all the action in the movie, mm-hmm. which takes place maybe in the last 20 to 30 minutes of the film mm-hmm. and the majority of the movie is is the other stuff which I explained. I think the main like image that, that people get especially me because I haven't seen the movie from the trailers or the commercials is just that monkey like jumping at that helicopter or plane whatever it was like I'm right. like whoa that's going to be awesome but yeah. like that, I'm like this movie's going to be so action packed with that monkey jumping everywhere and Climbing Empire State Yeah, you know, in a way, I think that there's a little bit of a disservice to the film. Because I, I feel like too many people go, are going to go in there or have gone in there expecting that. I mean, it's been working. It's been doing pretty well in the box office. Because they do such a good job with the other with, with those aspects. that You know, it's not like you, you don't sit there and feel like, oh my God, when is the action going to happen? Mm-hmm. You really enjoy the storyline. It, it is fascinating. And I think, you know, you know maybe, maybe it is a good thing that they did that because they didn't give away what the movie is really about, mm-hmm. you know, and I liked that a I mean, lot. We, we discussed this in our, you know, remember when we talked about trailers, trailers yeah. the entire episode, how some trailers are deceiving, but sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, Yeah. and I, I don't know, I guess this this might go into that category of yeah. a little bit deceiving trailers, yet doesn't really take, for, for you at least, for other people I could see it might be like, hey, you know, I, I expect a lot more action, Right. and maybe they'll be, with that type of mindset, they might be a little bit disappointed in the film, but if it is as good, and you know, people have been pretty pleased with this film so far. Yeah, I would say it really hasn't been that big of a deal. Yeah, and one final thing about this is, uh, if you've watched any of the original Planet of the Apes, they make a lot. Well, I wouldn't say a lot. There's probably like four to five references of names of apes and 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 uh, drugs and stuff like that that are in those movies. Cool. Yeah. And they're really making two more. They're gonna make this. A That's trilogy. what the rumors are. They're making. They're making two more. This. Uh, I just looked up. This director really. This is his first American film. And uh, apparently, he did a really good quite, job. Quite huh? the job for your <laughs> first time out. <laughs> he. Uh, he. He did another. He did a prison escape thriller called The Escapist in <laughs> 2008. 
but uh, I mean that didn't really make it big here. And uh, yeah, this is his first, pretty much first big film, and it looks like he hit a home run with it. Yeah, he did a very good Not job. Too shabby. Congrats. Okay, so we're gonna take a short break. We're gonna be back with our main topic. We're gonna get out the tissues and cry a little bit and talk about some sad movies. Wah. All right, we'll be right back. This uh, Entertainment Weekly article, and it wasn't really an article; it was a poll. Have you read this? Michael? No. Have you seen this? No. This person looks familiar. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just reading a magazine right now. Anyway, this poll was like, "What is the saddest movie of all time?" Ooh. And lots of people voting in, and looks like the number one movie from the the voters from the pollers, Schindler's List, had 20% of the votes. Second place was Old Yeller with 16%. In terms of endearment, Life is Beautiful, Brokeback Mountain, Titanic, all with 10%. And then other films include Million Dollar Baby, Love Story, The Champ, and Affair to Remember. I cannot believe Brokeback Mountain is on this list. I can't believe that either. It doesn't really fit in. It's uh, I mean, it's a sad movie and everything, but I am really surprised about that. So, so that kind of sparked my interest as to just having a discussion with you, Michael, about some sad movies that we have watched in our times, and maybe what would our saddest movie of all time include? I can tell you, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of like a sap <laughs> for sad movies. Like, I, I, I enjoy a good sad movie once in a while. Okay. And I don't, I don't, I'm not gonna lie, I don't hold back the tears, man. I will bawl my eyes <laughs> out if, if it's sad enough. Do you watch sad movies with other people, just out of curiosity? Well, yeah, I mean, if I watch it with other people, I won't really bawl my eyes <laughs> out. Um, but I'm not, uh, with certain people, I'm I'm not afraid to cry. But, yeah. like, I guess if it was, like, with strangers or, like, in the movies, I wouldn't be, like, sobbing and, and you know, making noises while crying. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> that, that happens sometimes. And no, I'm yeah, just like, yeah. are you okay, miss? <laughs> are you, it's okay, it's just the movie. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, uh... Yeah, that's good. It's good to laugh. It's good to cry. You know, all of the above during movies. Some some movies can be quite emotional roller coasters. So yeah, um, and I I think also we have to discuss you know what what really is sad. Yeah. And I think there's a separation and a difference between something that a, a movie or a scene that's sad and then a movie that is just depressing. Right. In awe. Because, like, a couple of these films, like, on this list, like, Million Dollar Baby, even, like, Schindler's List, like, they're just depressing as yeah, hell. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say. I, I, don't, I don't think I cried during the film. I don't think there's really too many crying moments. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I, I feel like they're more depressing yeah. than anything else. It, Schindler's List, I definitely, like, shed a tear throughout that movie. But I don't think I flat out cried, and I don't think I would consider that movie sad. It is depressing right. as maybe the most depressing movie out there. Uh, but I don't know if it's like altogether I, that sad. I'm glad we see eye to eye to this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's why I was surprised to see it at the top of the list. 
Um, Life is Beautiful was very sad. Right, it was a very was. sad movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, I didn't. I didn't think it was sad. I, I mean, I know a lot of people cry, but I, I didn't. It was just depressing. <laughs> it was depressing. Because it was like half the movie was just, you know, her career over and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I mean, Old Yeller, now that's sad. I've never seen it, so... Oh, okay. But you know what it's about. Yeah. You can assume I, I, that's going to yeah. be sad. <laughs> yeah. Sounds very sad. Titanic. I mean, people cried. I didn't. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Love Story, have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. Me neither. 1970. The Champ, though. That has got to be top three of my list of saddest movies of all time. Also another movie I've never seen. It was like... I really think it's like the saddest scene I've ever watched. Yeah. In I, a lot of people history. cite that movie as being the saddest movie. I, I read some other or blog about how that was the saddest movie it ever. It is. It's too... It's, it gets to you, man. Don't watch it. <laughs> Don't watch <laughs> it. Unless you have the intention of crying right there on the spot. Don't watch it. Um, yeah. What, what would you... All, outside of this list, what's a movie that you would put up? There? Um. Well, for... Like, the first movie that pops in my head, because I, I, I don't think I've ever cried harder than watching this movie, was Beaches. <laughs> Total chick flick, I know, but I, I stayed the up The movie with Leonardo DiCaprio? No, we always get into the... <laughs> <laughs> I want to see that movie called The Beach, or just Beach. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Beaches is with Bette Midler and her, her friend, who has an, uh, a very long, uh, slow illness, and uh, she has a kid... And that's where th- that that song "Wouldn't Beneath My Wings" is in that film. And like when 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 she passes away, her best friend passes away, and then just plays the song "Wouldn't Beneath My Wings." Holy crap! I was up at 4 a.m. by myself watching it one morning, and I just bawled my freaking eyes out. It was, it was, it was. I think those type of movies really get to me the most when um, yeah. when like a, a a character in the film is like sick for a long time, almost right, like Christmas right. shoes esque, like. This person has cancer. This person's sick. You know they're gonna die. And even like knowing that they're going to die, you really can't brace for yourself for that moment when they actually do pass away because you get to see the relationships and see the, uh, you know, the the, the regress, I guess, of that person. And yeah. then it just get, makes it harder and harder as the movie goes along. Well, so yes, beaches and I guess Christmas shoes would be up there. You just described one of my, my top saddest movies. Uh, I always get the title a little bit confused. It. I feel like it's called Mask, just Mask. But sometimes I call it The Mask, not to be confused with, with, Jim with the Jim character. <laughs> this movie is starring Cher, and it, she's a mother, and, and she has a son who has some sort of um, bone disease where his face uh, is... I don't really know how to describe it, but he has a very big bone structure in his face, like his jaw is extremely large, and the bones are kind of just messed up and, and misplaced. Mm-hmm. And it's not just in his face, but, like, it affects his body, and he has a very short lifespan. And the movie is just, like, sad from, like, the... the from minute one of the <laughs> film. And it's just, you know, you know that he's going to end up dying. You know that he has this terrible condition, but he's such a sweet person. And, you know, he wants so badly to fall in love. And he ends up falling in love with a blind girl. Hmm. And it's like, it's just this story, it's so heart-wrenching because the whole time, you know, like, you feel like if she only knew what he looked like, and that's what his, his, his fear is with them being together, you know? And then one day she finally asks to see, like, you know, his face, and of course is like, he's, he's the most beautiful person ever, but it's just so, like, 
and then like the next day he dies right. and it's just like oh my god like just when he finally found the love like oh man that movie is super sad is this movie recent or, or no, old no it's old it's, yeah it it's, sounds old it's really old it's probably one of Cher's first movies interesting um, and Cher plays the mother of the mother of this, of this son I wish I could remember. How old is the son in, in, portrayed in this movie? Um, I want to say he's based like on in a real story. <laughs> I'm sure it's based on a real story. Sounds I'm positive. Like I'm sure. I think he play is in his late twenties. I want to okay. say or or mid twenties. Interesting. But I, I feel like he the movie t- is over a couple of years, so okay. I mean, he might start out when it's like twenty and then go to like when he's twenty eight or something like that. So that that movie for me was extremely sad. Uh, you know, and I know I've mentioned these before in some other segment we've talked about, but like, I cannot sit through The Notebook without crying. But it's more because of the Alzheimer's related storyline than the love related storyline in mm-hmm. that. And that to me is extremely sad um, in that film. P.S. I Love You. I, I know it sounds ridiculous, no. but that movie makes me cry. Like I and I cannot hold it no, back. It's not ridiculous. That movie <laughs> is purposely sad. And that's what makes me hate the movie yes. so much. It's like, I mean, the premise of the film. And you just just know the premise. You're like, wow, I'm gonna be in for uh, a tearjerker right here. Yeah. So, but I don't know. That movie that movie irks me here and there. I did. I, yeah, it's freaking sad as hell. But I, I, I'm like, I won't let this movie make me cry. I was just so angry during it's like it. I can't. In the first ten minutes of the movie, I. And I've watched it like three times. I just I can't I can't control it. It's un- it's uncontrollable. Uh, one other film that I was gonna say that that makes me uh, made me cry was Revolutionary Road. That that movie I would definitely say is more depressing right. than sad. I would like, agree with that. Absolutely, but it definitely got me at, like, uh, at one yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, that movie was just emotionally draining. Yes, as we said yes. after we saw it. Um, I, I there's always. Something else that always gets me in films is when, uh, throughout the film, when a child dies. Mm. And I think in a way, sometimes it could be as uh, effective for a tear-jerking moment when a child dies, even surprisingly, compared to, like, an adult with a a long-term disease that just passes away. And uh, the the movie that I really it comes to mind immediately uh, is Bridge to Terabithia. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's on my desk. I have. I just got it to watch. <laughs> Interesting. From Netflix. Oh, from Netflix. Right. Okay. Well. Well, unfortunately, now you. I don't know if you knew what it was about before. No, but that's all right. I, yeah, now I'll go in there and cry it, my eyes no, out. No, I mean. <laughs> I think what really did it for me is that it, it it was more of a shock than like I really didn't know anyone was dying in this movie. Literally thought it was a Chronicle, uh, Chronicles of Narnia film, and then when did they drop this freaking bomb on you? I'm just like, there's no way this is happening right now. And yeah, I mean, uh, my girl. Oh man, that is a sad movie. Something with like kids. Yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> when she walks up to the casket. Oh my put, put on God. your glasses and stuff. Oh, dude. That's a Dude, sad I, I movie. almost forgot about that film. <laughs> that movie is crazy sad. <laughs> I haven't watched that film in a long and time. That was one of those movies that came out and w- when we were kids, and it was like, oh, I've got to go see my... It's Macaulay Culkin. you got to go see this film. You know, it was huge. Right. And you sit through that, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, it was morbid from the start because, you know, they, they have this uh, the funeral home after the family. But then, yeah, and again, like we, we were kids when this movie came yeah. out, and it, it, it dealt with, like... You know, best friends as kids, and that one of their best friends dying is—it's kind of oh man, it really 
sad. It's sad stuff. And it always amazes me, and just in uh, the acting sense, how like kids, some of these kids can act so well, like yeah. just just like bawling over a death of someone. This is why the champ was so so potent because um, this this little boy just gives this insane performance of just bawling his eyes <laughs> out when his father passes away, and I'm just oh, like, man. holy crap! I wanna I wanna pick him up, I wanna hug him, and tell him it's gonna be okay. But now um. We turn the pages, and there's a lot of sad dog movies as well. When mm. I mean, I I, I give it a re- I give a review of this movie a while ago. Yes, Hachi, I remember. Yeah, remember yeah, yeah. See that movie? I was bawling my freaking eyes out. And obviously, Marley and Me was very sad. The book was sad. The movie was just it felt like a lifetime movie, but it was still very sad. Even movies like Wendy and Lucy or My Dog Skip or that or those 30 seconds in Homeward Bound where you yeah, don't think yeah. Shadow's coming back, you are on the verge of crying. And it's uh, it's interesting to, to throw... Because I guess it's like the innocence of the pet. And especially you right. know, the pet becomes your best friend as well. And like, you know, the children always gets me because I feel like they're very innocent. They, don't, they didn't, you know, fulf- like live their lives to their fullest yet. Which, I don't know. But then, um... Do you have like a do you, do you feel like you get sadder in certain mo- like if like a dog dies or a kid dies or if like a long-term disease gets someone? I can't see that I've seen many movies where dogs are involved. I didn't see Marley and Me. I didn't see Old Yeller. I've seen Homeward Bound, but any of those other films I haven't My seen. My dog Skip? No, I haven't seen it. What? Do you not watch you have a dog? How do you not watch dog movies? <laughs> Maybe that's why I don't watch dog movies. I'm too. I don't want to deal with that. I don't know. I've, honestly, I've just never been interested in the movies. Uh, I don't, don't ask me why. I just don't. I don't know. Lady and the Tramp was kind of sad. <laughs> Lady and Tramp. Hey, cartoons can be sad too. Yeah, I mean, 101 Dalmatians was kind of sad because the mom dies. They just kill off a lot of moms in Disney movies to begin with. Bambi. It's quoted as being one of the saddest movies. I, I've always heard people say Bambi was very, was very sad. sad. It's it's funny because almost essentially the sim- a very similar thing happens in Finding Nemo, and mm-hmm. I felt like I wasn't very sad when the mom dies. In but the Finding first Nemo. ten minutes of uh, Up, I was crying. <laughs> that, <laughs> that montage, was sad. that genius <laughs> montage was so heartbreaking. It was just like it went. <laughs> Just that roller coaster. You got so happy because they they met as kids and they get married and they're like you know living their lives together. And then yeah. all of a sudden she can't have a baby. They're getting older. She dies. Yeah. And then she's just like all alone. I'm just like heart wrenching. Oh. Uh, good thing they had here. Uh, we had the 3D glasses to, to hide <laughs> the tears. Our teeth. I was just soak them up. <laughs> definitely, I was bawling for that. That was that was tough. That I mean, Lion King is very sad when Simba passes away. Oh, yeah. That was intense. <laughs> all, all these movies are sad. Aladdin wasn't sad. That was good. Yeah, I, I'm glad sometimes movies shouldn't be sad. Yeah, Aladdin wasn't very sad. I mean, we don't have to name not sad movies. <laughs> that let's name point. every not sad movie in existence right now. Ready to go? No. All right. Um, but yeah, sad movies are good. Sad movies are good. Yeah. yeah, like we said, there's like the difference of sad and depressed. The Changeling was a very depressing movie. That was depressing, yes. I would even say like Blue Valentine was depressing, but not necessarily sad. Yeah, and nah, I would say like I didn't think that was very. <laughs> you didn't like that, did you? you didn't like that movie. <laughs> You're crazy. Yeah, no. You're crazy. Um, but yeah, did you see that? I, I posted that uh, trailer on my Facebook. Like no. crazy. 
There's huh. a movie coming out called Like Crazy, and I'm I'm calling it this year's Blue Valentine, but I haven't even freaking seen the movie, so I don't know if it's going to be anything like it, but it just seems like a very emotional, relationshipy, sad <laughs> movie. Mm. So it looks it looks pretty intense, and I'm excited for that movie to come out. All right, all right. I think we we depressed our listeners enough yes. for talking about sad movies. Well, I should go cry about it, listeners. Oh, uh, what now? We're gonna take a short break. We'll be back with some flick tribe battles. Brb. Others sentences from now. Hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, what time is it, Mike? Time to flip chart battle! Battle! Oh, look at this. Find new tricks for flip chart on YouTube. I what? really want to click it, but we're in the middle of a podcast, so I'll do it later. So, flipchart.com, www.flipchart.com, <laughs> one word, is an awesome website where you can compare two movies side by side and decide which one is better. Like, for example, i.e., Training Day versus. Oh, we're just gonna get started. Like I that. thought you were going. Oh, okay. I thought you were just <laughs> going to throw out random films. No, that's like, why would I throw out random films? <laughs> Training Day versus Road to Perdition. Road to Perdition. Yes. I just want to say that right now, after 502 rankings, our top three films are The Godfather. I want to say <laughs> Part Two, Goodfellas, and guess what? Our number three movie of all time from. Flick charting is Saw Saw <laughs> That's gotta change eventually But we haven't uh, We're still We're still Ironing out right the kinks so. Yes Next next matchup is Goodfellas Hey our number two Versus Mr. and Mrs. Smith Goodfellas Unbreakable Versus Beauty and the Beast While well, While well, I like un- un- uh, I was gonna say Unbeautiful Unbreakable Unbeautiful <laughs> Uh, Beauty and the Beast is a classic. It's and I gotta classic, it. yes. Beauty and the Beast was phenomenal. Be my guest. Be my guest. V for Vendetta versus Training Day. That's two Training Days in four matches. I feel bad. I like Training Day, but I like V for Vendetta better. Yeah, tough matchup. V for Vendetta. Lost in Translation versus The Matrix Revolutions. Um, I'm choosing Lost in Translation. Yeah, me too. Is Revolutions the second or third one? Third one. Oh, okay. Yeah, the crappiest of yeah. them. Sideways, oh my god, versus American Beauty. Love me some Sideways, gotta go American Beauty. Yeah, Sideways was a great film, and you know Alex Payne's new movie is coming out. Yeah, I saw First that. First since Sideways. He hasn't made a movie in seven freaking years. That's crazy. What's his new movie called? Descendants, Ooh. with George Clooney. Yes. It's gotta be good. It's gotta be good. I don't right? even know what it's about, but it's gotta be good. Uh, but we're picking American Beauty, because that is also a classic. Yeah. A Knight's Tale versus The Butterfly Effect. Hmm. You're gonna call me crazy, but I like the butterfly effect better. I'm not gonna call you crazy. That was going to be my choice as well. Oh, interesting. Mr. Ashton Kutcher. <laughs> <laughs> Wedding Crashers versus Rush Hour 2. Is Rush Hour 2 the good one? I'm not sure if there is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll Wedding Crashers it is. Wedding Crashers. <laughs> the Fifth Element versus Bruce Almighty. I'm gonna pick the Fifth Element here. You're probably gonna pick Bruce Almighty. This is tough. I feel like yeah. I 
feel like they're, they're, they can't be compared. I got, a, I got some right here. Okay. What are you doing? What are you I was trying to get a coin to flip. I thought you were trying to take my bottle cap. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Bruce on my So fifth element is gonna be heads. Yep. Bruce is going to be tails. Yep. And we're gonna flip for the winner. Yep. Well, I lost it in the light, but I caught it. Tails. Bruce, Bruce Almighty. Bruce Almighty. Lara Croft. Lara. Lara. Is that Lara? Lara Croft. Is that case called Lara? Well, it. Lara Croft. I'm sorry. Tomb Raider versus Mission Impossible. Dose. Dosekis. I'm gonna pick Mission Impossible too. Yeah, me too. That. Tomb Raider movie was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Pants Labyrinth versus the Aviator. Pants Labyrinth. That's a good matchup too, though. I like the Aviator a right. lot. I think that's probably one of uh, the more underrated Leonardo DiCaprio films, as or far as the public goes. <laughs> well, that too, but it's just it's just underrated in general. Yeah. But like you said, like the public, I, I guarantee you, you ask people, have you seen the Aviator? I'm gonna say, yeah. more than half people will say no. Anyway, Pans and Aberth is my decision as well. Next is Quantum of Solace, that's a James Bond film, versus The Butterfly Effect. I haven't seen Quantum of Solace, so I can't really weigh in on um, this matchup. So it's your decision, Michael. You're on the clock. Ready, set, go. Uh, if these two movies were on TV, I'd rather watch The Butterfly Effect. So is that your choice? Yeah. Butterfly Effect, ah, they, Butterfly Effect moving up the ranks today, huh? <laughs> Who framed Roger Rabbit versus Taken? Who flamed Rabbit? Who, f- <laughs> who flamed, <laughs> flamed Roger flamed the Rabbit? Roger Rabbit. Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit? Right, Taken was an awesome action flick, but Who Framed was hilarious. Yeah, that movie's great. Classic. Really <laughs> oh, no. Oh, God. Napoleon Stinkamite versus American <laughs> Gangster. American Gangster. Yes. X-Men's Origins versus Batman Begins. Batman Begins. Easily, I don't know what I was thinking about. (laughs) What? I haven't seen X Men, so I couldn't. But I was really hoping you were going to say that. Oh man, this! I'm going to have to bow out of this one. The Truman Show versus Inglorious Bastards. This hurts my head. I like both these (laughs) movies way too much. Um. Yes, both movies are awesome in very separate, different ways. Um. Glorious Bastards was just a freaking awesome, great movie from start to finish. Truman Show it was a lot less serious than Inglorious Bastards, but it had a lot more heart. Yeah. And a lot more... I mean, Jim Carrey... That just, movie made me cry. That was a very <laughs> sad movie to me. I'm picking The Truman Show here, and that's a tough decision. Right. I'm going to pick Inglorious. Wow. Really? Yeah. Cool. That's fine. Either way, I'm Let's happy. flip it. Heads is cool. <laughs> you almost got destroyed by the coin. Truman Show wins. Truman Show wins. <laughs> you almost got destroyed by the coin. Bruce Almighty versus Predator in 1987. Predator. Predator it is. We're getting a lot of duplicates. You know how many movies are in this database, and we're getting duplicates Billy. like crazy? Aladdin versus the Aviator. <laughs> Aladdin. Yeah, I'll pick Aladdin, because Aladdin is also a classic. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm gonna Wanted myself. versus Mission Impossible 2. Mission Impossible 2. I really I'm did not like Wanted. myself. Castaway versus Lethal Weapon. Hmm. Interesting hmm. matchup. Hmm. I pick Castaway. I might have to pick Lethal Weapon. That's fair enough. Flip it. Let's flip it! Lethal Weapon. Lethal the Weapon. Next matchup is Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix versus American History X. I'm American going History with X. Edward Norton on this Edward one. Edward Norton. Truman Show versus <laughs> A Beautiful Mind. I'm picking the Truman Show. 
Wow. I would hate to pick against the Truman Show twice, but I think I'm going to have to pick A Beautiful Mind. Flipping it. Okay. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> I didn't Truman Show wins again. Yeah, Truman Show's point. <laughs> that is Elf versus Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko. Hmm. Hmm. I like Donnie Darko better than I'm Elf. picking Darko. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A Bug's Life versus Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Uh... That movie, this is the 91 Robin Hood. Right, Kevin Costner. It was a good movie. I liked it a lot. Okay. But it's very forgettable. It is a very forgettable movie. And some people might say A Bug's Life is too. But I can't can't pick A Bug's Life over Robin Hood. And that's just on principle. (laughs) Well, what's the principle on that? Uh, It's Costner. And he only makes good movies. <laughs> you really do like War of the World, don't you? I, War of the Worlds is a great film, okay? Put that up against Bugs Life once easily. <laughs> so you're picking Robin Hood? Yeah. Don't even. Don't even pick the Bugs. I don't know. If it was Ants, it might be a different story. I'm going to pick a Bugs Life and let the coin decide. Fine. <laughs> Robin the point is all about me today. It really is. It's following everything. Right, let's you're do doing. two more. Men in Black. Men in Black. Yeah, I like that poster. Men in Black versus Super Bad. I pick Men in Black. Yeah. Wow. I think you're gonna go Super Bad. No, I, I like. I mean, Super Bad is. A, it, it was one of those films when I saw it for the first time. I really liked it, but every single additional viewing, I was just like, it's getting like lamer and lamer. Like I, I can watch it, but I don't get the same feeling as I watched yeah. it for the first time. Last one. Eight Mile versus The Village. I'm picking The Village. That easily. Yes. You did not like Eight Mile? Uh, it was okay. I mean, there's a new movie coming out, though. Yeah. I think Eight Mile was a good movie. I mean, I'm not, saying it. It was, I'm not saying it was bad, but I just really liked The Village more. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. I picked The Village as well. All right. Just like to be a dick to you sometimes. <laughs> a dick. All right, well, thanks for hanging out with us for this entire podcast episode. If you did hang out with us for the entire podcast episode. And you did. I know you did. (laughs) I think we're going to have to throw in a topic for next week already. We're going to have to do our fall movie preview for next next week, okay? Sounds good. So we're going to start doing some research on what movies we are highly anticipating this coming up fall, which, I'm not going to lie, are a lot of films, just because... The first eight months of films have not been very good in 2011. The worst ever. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know why I said that. A bold statement. You haven't had one of those all podcast long, though, so we'll, we'll, we'll keep it there. Okay. And then we'll have people write in, This year was so much worse. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Let's give the information out. We have a podcast blog. That is otmf-podcast.blogspot.com. We have a Facebook also. Please join that. <laughs> Facebook.com slash on the movie front. And then we have an email address. Sheen, what's our email address? Don't say www. On the movie front at hotmail.com. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys. We Just love you. Just a little you. bit under an hour. I like, I like that style. Oh, yeah. We love you. Oh, yeah. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah. <laughs>